HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. All right, everybody. Welcome, everybody, to the show Life's a Banquet, the show that's edible, spreadable, and Zara. Horrible. Starring your hosts, me, Brent and Scott, and me, Zara Tangora. A show about ostriches, wine, and dough. <laughs> I'm drunk. <laughs> Always. Life's a banquet, life's a banquet, life's a banquet, banquet. Once I get a taste of the polka, ready, and it's August, everybody. Welcome to Life's a Banquet. I'm from Wisconsin. It's it means n- real. I'm the real deal. <laughs> I'm not trying to t- prove it. I'm not trying to squeeze my own accordion here. I'm just trying to say, <laughs> welcome to Life's a Banquet, the podcast about the highs and lows of everything that's edible, spreadable, and horrible. Starring your host, restaurant, <laughs> former restaurant owners and cooks and food lovers galore. Brett and Scott and Zara Tangora. Uh, 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 yes. uh. All right, listen, it is Friday and it is August, and every, I'm starting to hear that old tune in New York City, and everybody what says, is it? Oh, I can't believe summer has once again come and it's already the end of August. It's Mid- not over. I until know, that's what I'm saying. It's over. Her. Over. Let me tell you something. I had my air conditioner, and I know this because of the bill I'm still paying off. <laughs> going on all through October last year. Yeah. And the oh, year yeah. before that, there was a tropical heat wave in October. Do you remember this past winter when it was February and we went upstate and it was 80 degrees? So oh, don't tell me when, I'll tell you when summer's over, everyone we else. We drove up to Martha Stewart's farm and we just were, you know, as a casual As thing. one does and on a Wednesday. Does, yeah, before they go to court for a speeding ticket in upstate <laughs> New York. Hey, <laughs> life's a banquet. <laughs> no worries. Um... Listen, that was a fabulous day, and you're right. It can be anything at any time. But September, in my opinion, is one of the most beautiful months. I love it. One of the most beautiful months. And not only that, but it is prime, prime. This is harvest season, folks. I mean... We are a life, we are a lifestyle food and beverage podcast. And there, in my opinion, could be no better time 
than in August and September in the East Coast. Well, as you were saying, I like September too, though, because then you start mm-hmm. to get the chill thing about September mm-hmm. is you also get, you don't only really have tomatoes, but you get like squash. Yep. And then you have like everything all at once. And it's like this there's cornucopia. Even, there's even probably some st- some small stone fruits left over, oh, right? Te- yeah, absolutely. The, yeah. The plum preserves that you just made two weeks ago that you'll have in another month. You're like, oh, thank God I preserved those plums. Teensy weensy, methley plums, well, and egg plants. I wanted to start this episode, oh, which is episode lucky number 13. Okay. Okay, thanks. Thanks to all of the... Watch out behind you! Oh my God! Oh my God! There's a killer! (laughs) Oh my God, I just went through a... I was actually riding... This is a true story, everybody. True story here in New York City. I was riding my bike. Preston and I were riding our bikes, and this cat jumped out from a car, a black cat, (gasps) middle of the day, and he looked at us and kind of like hesitated on his ground. You know, he like put his paws down and looked at us, and I said, don't you dare... I was like, don't you dare cross our paths, you black cat. And? And that black cat turned around, and he went back into the car. And I was like, exactly. I was like, watch out. I am a kitty whisperer. Don't you, don't. I looked at him in his eyes. I was like. (laughs) (laughs) Don't step to me. Yeah. Good, you showed him who's boss. Uh, Go ahead, yes. uh, Well, I mean, I just wanted to ask you a little bit about your week. What's been going on? Uh, Many things. What have you cooked? Well, I am very into plums right now okay plum season is abound yeah Uh, so what i did was i wanted to make some plum sorbet but i'm waiting until till this week because i kind of like the plums have been i think they're in full season but they go real quick can i be honest with you and tell you something yeah i love plums they're my second favorite stone fruit okay all right just let me finish just let me finish before you judge me i haven't had a plum yet this year that's all yeah i've had one i've well i would love to have a bite of it. Okay, hold on, hold on. Okay, hold perfect. On. Every now and then a plum around. Okay, so I'm so sorry. I had to run to the kitchen tonight. to grab a plum. So listen, I went to this uh, the corner, the corner farmers market here in Fort Greene, mm-hmm. and they had a lot of plums. This is a standard black plum. Now look at first of all. Okay. Hold on, let's gorgeous take a look. interior sorry, of that plum. Plums are. This is why plums are the best fruit, and j- the Japanese know this long before Hit me the up Chinese with that plum. Japanese. Right. Mm. So it's, it looks like a sunset. Mm, mm. Mm. Oh my God. Listen, the best thing about plums is the tart. Wow. That plum is perfectly the tart, chilled. The, it's a chilled plum. <laughs> now it is, six, day, it that is plum. six days old. It's really? It's still held up. Uh, but you it get doesn't that. feel like a day after three days old. Yeah. And here's the other best thing about plums is when you're cooking with them, we're all like, mm. um, when you're cooking with them, you don't have to take the skins off because that's yeah. the best part. That's what gives them the color. Yeah, I and know. And they kind of dissolve when you cook with them. You know what else I love, Breton? Oh my God. Say a prune. <gasps> well, you take the, you, you take don't have the to be plum, a- you dry it out, and you get a prune on the shell. Both. <laughs> it, yeah. You don't have to be an old crotchety uh, old lady or a curmudgeonly old man to enjoy a plum. No. In fact, I mean, with- a prune. Prunes just got. I think prunes got a bad rap. They have a bad name. For some reason, we as- we Ooh. associate prunes with constipation. Mm-hmm. But really, they're a, a vivacious, delicious, bright. Watch it. After this podcast, yeah. prunes. It's going to trend. Prunes is going to pop. Yeah, someone's probably going to open oh, a restaurant called Prune, I bet. Called a restaurant called Prune? I don't know. That sounds like a funny name. I mean, maybe someday. You never know the kids these days, right? Mm-hmm. So plums, prunes, yeah, they're fabulous. I made something that mm-hmm. I was very proud of. I made mm-hmm. a scorpion bowl 
which for anyone out there who doesn't know what a scorpion ball is. A scorpion ball? It doesn't, it doesn't actually include any live scorpions yet. Oh, okay. It could. Mine right. didn't have any. So it's basically just like a massive tiki drink for a group. And oh I God, made mine fabulous. with a watermelon shiso, uh, fresh watermelon shiso juice. Just uh, You took- know what? If you go on the Instagram, Zara posted a little story. I did. We're keeping up with the times. Yeah. Moving stories, moving pictures. Which move out within 24 hours. So mm-hmm. it's, it's not there anymore. Okay. But, well, you missed you know, it. Too late. Too Bye. Late. Sorry. Sorry. Maybe next year if you're lucky. Yeah. Maybe next uh, Maybe next summer. So anyway, it was really great. And I made like a shiso watermelon juice. I mixed it with some uh, gin, Aperol, mm-hmm. and soda water. Actually correction rum aperol and soda water that is that sounds wonderful and lime juice and i just like decorated with all this like snazzy shit i had in my house i put fucking candles in there birthday candles hey I watch the swear words there's kids around i put some fucking candles yeah. in that thing hey, you know what all right she's passionate <laughs> it's authentic i fucking put a candle anyway uh it was really fun and so Over the top really really fun stuff to do easy you can do with a cantaloupe uh you know if you don't have a melon to use as your vessel you could use a bowl i don't know get creative people look it up online scorpion bowls they're they're super fun but that's a fun thing to do for a party like if you're like oh i don't know what to do for my party i don't have i don't have the right this or the right that well you know what go get yourself a watermelon you know i have i i got a watermelon last week Uh and i carried it through the rain it started storming it was a very very dramatic story i i had forgotten to get the watermelon and i went back you know, got some some cash out of the ATM. Mm-hmm. It was an eight dollar watermelon, but worth every penny. Seedless, wow. seedless sugar oh, baby. Yep, mm-hmm. and it did have the coilest, the cutest little coil on the top, like a little oh, sprig of baby hair, like a little pigtail. Oh, like a little pigtail. Oh, so hey, I ran buddy. to the farmer's market and I said, "What's your best? You know, give me your best watermelon." And there was two guys there, and he said, "Well, you know, if you really kind of slap it, you kind of slap it, and it makes a nice thumping sound." Oh yeah, you and so then this that. guy, this large guy, one of the guys that was helping, you know transport all the crates of watermelon yeah he goes and he starts slapping it he's oh like my boom, god boom like and i was like oh and he's like is that one and he's like oh let me slap it for you and i was like oh yeah oh, slap no. that melon and it was kind of funny we had a moment <laughs> and then then the, what happened oh, well so <laughs> that's i have an idea for a new kind of porno and we'll talk about that later okay perfect. Uh, that's on a separate part <laughs> Oh my god! I nearly dropped, <laughs> cut my fingers off with that plum. Jesus Christ, Brenton! I walk out holding that ten-pound watermelon like a baby, and it starts pouring like a summer rainstorm. How cinematic! It's so cinematic, and I just—I was like, "Watch me, everybody! I don't need an umbrella. I am <laughs> like—I'm gonna have my like walking in a watermelon moment, and just I carry it through proud." And I was like, "Everybody's like, oh, like run! It's rain!" Like. <laughs> <laughs> and I walked through and I got soaked and it was fabulous. And That's amazing. Anyway, so that watermelon, I'm going to stick a bottle of vodka in it tonight. Well, you know what the thing mm-hmm. is with sticking a bottle of vodka in a watermelon? Mm-hmm. Because I'm clearly I'm from Long Island, as I have to mention this as, is your specialty. as often as possible. This is what we do. We you invented it. Exactly. We invented it. We've crafted it. We perfected it. Everybody learns to make one at like age three. Mm-hmm. Um, it's your first. Exactly. <laughs> like, like in, in kindergarten. Okay, here, now A, B, C. All right, you're supposed to get it with mommy. I can't even. I can't. Now, I can't. Don't fucking even oh, try. All right. All right. Then you do it. So, uh, so listen, this is what you do. You're gonna take a hole. You're gonna cut it in the watermelon. You're gonna stick the vodka bottle in it. However, this is the mm-hmm. issue. A watermelon is already full. Yeah. It's already full of well, watermelon. It is, but that water transfers, and right? No, you have to. You have to drain out. Oh my god. The watermelon juice. I've never done that. Yeah, because other think about it. Where is it gonna go? The water. The mel- The watermelon shell is full of watermelon meat and matter i feel v- i you know what i'm 
embarrassed for myself. Well, don't, I don't be. I know I'm not. Listen, I'm not. you're not from Long Island. You're from a classier place. I, get, I guess if I asked how to make a brandy old fashioned. Yeah, exactly. You know, or, or fry up a batch of I'd cheese be like, curds. Yeah, I'd be like, what's squirt? Yeah, or exactly. Friday fish fry. Let me let me show you. <laughs> oh my god, Friday fish fry. Oh, should we fry some fish tonight? Oh, you gotta go to work. Oh, uh, I work, but you know what? Those jobs get in the way. But you know what I can do? What? Is we can just talk about a fabulous fish fry. Yes. And have you had can. a good one this summer? Has anyone out there had experience with frying fish? We would like to know about your fresh fresh frying. Fresh frying and fish yeah, you frying. Know what? We got two emails last week. Thank you very much. We did. Yeah, it was awesome. So thank you, and I responded to those. So we are, it was exciting. I was like our oh, first two emails. Cool. Was one from Tom from MySpace? Uh, Tom, yeah, Tom from, yeah, Tom from MySpace. And <laughs> oh. the other one was from Google Admin. It oh, was really that's cool. that's amazing. What did they have to he say? He just said, welcome to the team. And I that's said, amazing. here's my watermelon recipe. <laughs> <laughs> You're no, like, just kidding. People but you gave him the wrong recipe. Now Tom from MySpace is at home, like just pulling his hair out because he can't get all the vodka into the watermelon because you no, gave him the wrong recipe. No, but seriously, if anybody has a good, I'm telling you, if anybody knows this and you're listening and you have a good plum recipe because- A plum recipe or a fish fry recipe. That number one most, most uh, downloaded and and I guess looked at recipe in the New York Times in that cookbook was their plum, I think it's like a plum kuchen or something or a plum tort. A plum kuchen. Plum kuchen. A plum kuchen. You're a a plum. You listen- I got to tell you, if you were going to be one dessert food, you would be a plum kuchen. Oh, my God. <laughs> my use, spirit. You ooze kuchen. Yeah. You guys, my, <laughs> my spirit food is plum kuchen. I figured it out. That is seriously. Everybody, I want you to plum. Hashtag plum kuchen from now on. Okay. So what else? What else have you made? Oh, Madonna Mia. Well, actually, I made a really delicious dinner for my family last week. <clears throat> So I'm, I am in, well, I was an only child for a long time. Mm-hmm. This is a long story. Maybe if you get to know me, I'll tell you, uh how one is an only child and then isn't without having a little brother or sister. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, so... And it's not an immaculate conception. It is not. Let's keep For that most clear. of my life, I was an only child. So my cousin Rory is really like my brother. He, we're very, very close. And so him and his beautiful wife, Aguirre, came over for dinner the other night on Sunday. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like in full-time like summer mode. Like I just want to cook everything. But as I've mentioned on the show before, I don't really cook for myself. So I really relish in the times. No pun intended. Oh, yeah, relish. Right. Speaking of a relish tray. <laughs> so I really relish, oh, wink, wink, at the times when I get to have people Ba-dum-bunch. for dinner and cook. So yeah. we try to do Sunday dinner most most weeks. Very um, traditional, an Italian American, right? Sunday dinner, Sunday and I'm dinner. always like, oh, I'm gonna make Thai or I'm gonna make Indian or I'll do something like whatever. But I always end up making pasta. Um, so this week I made a amazing. I was very inspired actually by the latest Bon Appetit. They had a whole section on recipes for like cold proteins. Um, mm, yes, I, I it was nice through that. Yeah, I really I really like that. I always have. And uh, so I made a cold roast leg of lamb, mm-hmm. which that was sounds wonderful. delicious. I went to uh, Paisano's, of course, on Smith Street for the beautiful, like a boneless leg of lamb. Mm-hmm. Uh, I roasted that. I let it kind of sit. It wasn't freezing cold. It was just kind of room temp. How like, long did you roast? Did you do a nice uh, slow roast? I did a slow roast. Yeah, at about okay. 300 degrees for, it wasn't a huge piece of meat. It was maybe a three pound piece of meat. I think I must have roasted it for about an hour. Okay. Uh, okay. It was great. It was really delicious. So tender and juicy. And then I made lemon spaghetti, which if you guys out there don't know the secrets Sp- of spaghetti. Spaghetti a limone. Beautiful. It, so fresh pasta, fresh made spaghetti. Mm-hmm. 
um, pasta water, mm-hmm. uh, lots of butter, lemon zest, yep. lemon juice, black pepper, uh, and uh, lots of pecorino It's almost cheese. like you're doing a little mini kind of like boromonte. Yes, absolutely. That's actually what you're making. You're yeah. just making a little sauce emulsification. Yeah. Mounted. Oh, mounted. Mount me, ma- Mount the butter. But, you know what? I don't, I've come to realize like sidebar from this conversation about mm-hmm. food. I don't know what's wrong with me. Why everything that we talk about on this podcast and in life that's remotely sexual, like just makes me chuckle like a little tiny schoolboy. Well, first of all, it's not our fault. It's Nigella Lawson's fault. That's true. She's like, I just put this in here, darling. <laughs> and if you simply lick this, you lick the caramel and the thing. But I've been noticing it a lot more lately as I listen to our podcast because I'm reminded of things that I say and I'm like, Jesus Christ, Zara, like get it together. Mm-hmm. You know, every time you hear the word like lick or like stick or <laughs> hole, yeah, you don't yeah, have hole. to start like freaking the fuck out. So anyway. It is something else. I made spaghetti. You kids these days. I know. Dirty minds, dirty minds. And then I made one other thing. Oh, I made a beautiful, I got burrata and I just roasted some heirloom tomatoes and made like a quick heirloom tomato sauce and poured it over, um, Burrata. Mm, you know what? This is a really good time of year to get fresh mozzarella. Mm. Obviously, I don't have to tell everybody like heirloom tomatoes and cheese. But I will say when I went to uh, what's it not not uh, what's it called? The Palos Caputos. Caputos. I got some really really fresh mozzarella from Caputos you on like Saturday. I was coming. I went to the counter, and I did get some cacio cavallo. Of mm, course, mm-hmm. I told you I was going to get that. And it's this great, Caputo's is this really wonderful Italian deli. And, you know, I think yeah. I've talked about we it We recommend it, like, basically every episode. We talk, that's all we do is talk yeah, about it. because all we do is eat But the guy cheese. comes out, I wasn't going to get any mozzarella, but the guy comes from the back kitchen carrying the large bucket, white yeah. bucket, and he's got the white, you know, the white hat and the white shirt. It's, mm-hmm. it's the real deal. Oh, yeah. And he pulled out warm, freshly stretched mozzarella, and he hands one to me, and he puts <laughs> it in a core container, and it was so warm. That it mushes into the core container. That it mushes container. into the core container, and I got it home. And sliced it with oh, I sliced it and I punched myself, <laughs> and and then I like I slightly asphyxiated myself while I ate that mozzarella. Okay. Oh my god, it's turning into a, okay. I know. See, we can't help ourselves. All right, but so, that that stuff is real good. And like any kind of, uh, you know what else I really like? Stone fruit is great with uh, with fresh cheese. You know what? Stone fruit's good. Do you know what else is good with roasted like uh, any a roasted chicken? With a peach sauce or oh plum, right? Oh, my God. Like, remember that one? Zara did a really wonderful... Remember that plum glaze you did? Yeah. That was one of the first times we bonded, I think. I did. I was like, who are you? Yeah. Why would you do that? You're and like, then copy. this? I had a bunch of people that copied that. They said, I've never heard... Really? I, oh, yeah. It's very... Like, for anyone out there listening uh, who doesn't know Breton, I will tell you a little bit about him. He is the most... I want to find the right way of saying this. Mm-hmm. I'm waiting. You have really excellent taste. And so you have a very discerning palate and everything that you eat, you can kind of pinpoint exactly what's in it and what you like mm-hmm. and don't like about it. <laughs> but so to please you to make something that you really think is like delicious and extraordinary is probably one of like life's I top, mean, top when it's good, accomplishments. It's good. Yeah. When it's good, it's good. And you're right. I Wasn't am, that the nicest way of saying what? Yeah. As Martha <laughs> Stewart you? Would, would say, <laughs> well, it's not that you're um, a horrible complainer. It's just that you have a discerning palate. But you're just not good at being uh, not complaining. I'll tell you a little story. When I was a kid, story time, story time, story, la, 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 time. story time. When I was a little kid, my mom used to make birthday cakes for me and she used, this is the night, you know, I was born in 77. So imagine 
Picture this. Picture it. Wisconsin, mid 80s. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> Driving long. So boat many car. mullets. Yeah, so many mullets. Lots of short shorts. Dad's had mustaches. Everything was fabulous, <laughs> right? Like, what? <laughs> I just, it's, it's what we need to go back to. Anyway, yeah. uh, my mom used to make birthday cakes and she would use a mix. Or she would often sometimes get them from a grocery store, such okay. as Piggly Wiggly, Park and Save, Park and Shop, Stop mm. and Shop, whatever they're called. Sure, Stop Somewhere, Shop there also. And I remember she, at one point, I I was had my coming-of-age moment with food. I was probably mm. seven or six, who knows? I was two. <laughs> That's very And my, I was like, Mom, is this cake from a grocery store? And I was like, for my birthday? And I threw it in the garbage. And <laughs> You and went to work on my own cake. I was like, oh, if you have to do something right, you have to do it yourself. <laughs> and it was my first moment where I was like, you know what? Oh, I'm going to make myself a fabulous like chocolate mocha something or other. I'm sure it wasn't that good, but you know. I'm sure it was perfect. And this is actually a great segue into uh, why people should donate to our Patreon page. Our because Breton just keeps making cakes and making cakes and making cakes. And we're going broke and we need some money so we can keep recipe testing so we can make cool cooking videos. Yeah, and we need to get our website up, which we decided we wanted to get it done right with our branding. And that actually turns out those darn graphic designers are need to make money too. Exactly. And so. in today's, in 2018, we live we in an age it. where other people pay for you to do things. Yeah, exactly. Outsource, outsource, and Zara outsource yeah exactly which means we do it ourselves so, <laughs> uh, yes but seriously I, even you can donate to our patreon page um for as little as one dollar and per what month. do listeners get they well listeners right now so what we're first of all right now we have a hilarious video that's up on our page which you can watch anyone even mm-hmm. if you don't donate it was a one took it, it we did one it take we, it's very funny and silly um but uh, what you will get coming up in the next, I guess, once we reach a certain amount of money, enough money to kind of start making some stuff, is exclusive content. Exclusive video. Exclusive video content, um, unaired episodes. Behind the scenes, me running around naked in an accordion. Yeah, you get patch. to see Breton's penis and butt. Yep. Exactly. I'll be fully no, clothed. No, this is not true. <laughs> that that part may or may not yeah, be true. That's for uh, if you donate a. Th- uh, I would do it for five thousand. Yeah, five thousand dollars to see this man's penis and butt. <laughs> <laughs> Watch one day. I'm gonna have to like do it, and I'm like, okay, promise. <laughs> say what you mean and mean what you say. I promise it's a promise. But um, no, and then we're gonna also be getting some merch, and so be, uh, merch not too far in the future. Adorbs merch. Adorbs merch. You'll get I'm a life's really banquet tea. That. And we will. The I reason don't really we want talk like that. the re, the reason we want to get uh, some money together also via this Patreon page is so we can get merchandise made, bags, totes, have uh, bags, you know, babe, totes, linens, napkins, uh, toilet paper, toilet seats, lighters, matchbooks, wooden matchbooks. Exactly. Oh, so anyway, you get the point. Everybody lives in the world. Uh, please donate to our Patreon page and also rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast. Now listen. Go ahead. I want to hear what you're what's going on with your story. You do. Okay. So. Today's topic, Breton, is going to be about white bread. And more specifically, it's going to be about the racist history of white bread in this country. Um, I want to start off by saying that I realize that as a white woman in this country, that my place in this conversation is to listen and to learn. And that is what I have tried to do this week while researching this topic. You know, it's very unfortunate uh, that something like bread, which has been around for thousands of years, as we will soon learn, was manipulated during this time and marketed as uh, something divisive and hateful because really it's a unifier and it's uh, sustenance um, and nourishment for people around the world uh, has been and will be 
And it was really just manipulated nutritionally and also um, marketed uh, in a way that promoted hate. And it's disturbing. And we live in times that continue to be disturbing and in a country where people of color are still persecuted and treated unfairly and unequally. And while this is a food comedy podcast, it is also a podcast about the highs and lows of all things edible, spreadable, and pourable. And this is a very deep, deep, dark low in our country's history and in food history. And I felt that I wanted to use my small platform for whoever may be listening to just give our listeners an idea of what's behind something that we all kind of grew up eating. And uh, it's it's upsetting. Um, I'm sure we will still have a couple of good laughs because we can't help but be silly. But I hope that we all learn something too. And I hope that I hope that we all take stock in the injustices we see in the world, whatever they may be to you, uh, individual listener at home, and do what we can to try to make them different or bring awareness and keep learning. And that is our responsibility as white people in this country, one of many. Um, but I, I believe it is our responsibility to keep our minds open and to keep learning and listening to people who have been treated poorly. And, uh, so yeah, here's the, here's the history of white bread. It's not pretty. It's not pretty at all. I also just want to say that the opinions that I uh, am going to express during this, uh, story that I'm about to tell you are my own. They are just that they're opinions for legal reasons. Um, just want to make it very clear. I'm not saying that any one company is racist or not racist. These are just my opinions based on the reading and research that I've done for this topic. Um, okay. Enjoy. So I want to kind of just talk a little bit about start. I'm going to give you a little information about the origins of bread. Now, to talk all about bread's origins would be an hours long conversation, which we do not I have mean, time for. That's on our exactly. This is for a night out. If you donate ten thousand dollars, we'll take you out to some fabulous bar and talk your ear off all night long. Exactly, and you'll pay for it. Wait, that sounds. We'll weird. slather you yeah, in yeah, butter. We'll pay for it. Sprinkle you with crunchy sea yes. salt. Um, okay, so Breton. The earliest known bread um, was, they think it's from the Neptuian uh, hunters and gatherers. Mm-hmm. By, they found, you know, indications of wheat and grain and uh, etchings and, and stuff that would uh, lead historians to think that bread was being made by these people 14,000 years ago. That's many thousands of years. 14,000 years ago. It's really crazy. So that's uh, a that's a lot of decades. Yeah, and this these kind of artifacts were found in the Black Desert in Jordan. So the uh, Neolithic sites in Turkey and Europe about nine thousand years ago uh, also had some uh, evidence of bread making going on. Um, all of this was happening with uh, what we know in the bread community as a mm-hmm. sourdough starter. Oh, so like what is Herman. a sourdough starter? So we were so, 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 so fortunate to get an interview from Berkshire Mountain Bakery's Richard Bourdin. Uh, Bourdin? Bourdin. Bourdin. Oh my God, I spoke some Dutch with him. I, was so, I got so embarrassed because I was like, I can speak Dutch, and then I realized that I can't. He, uh, Richard is an absolutely amazing, eccentric, wonderful person who's taught some of the most uh, prominent and important uh, bread bakers in 
this country, a real wackadoodle star, how to make bread. Yep. And uh, to be in his presence, to get to see his mill in the Berkshires um, uh, in Massachusetts uh, was beyond an honor. Mm-hmm. Uh, it and- was like an experience of a lifetime. Look what happens if I let the starter go. I don't do anything to it. I don't feed it again. Don't do anything. I just let it get like, just just let it go for like a month. Yeah. Right? Well, these bacteria in there, obviously, they do two things, right? They eat and they reproduce, right? And obviously, when they run out of food, they'll just go dormant and wait for the next food. They don't start to you know make noise they just kind of sit there until the next lunch comes around so yeah a sourdough starter uh you know we take yeasts that are found in nature that are naturally occurring in the room Mm. to start it instead of yeast again we would love to talk to you more specifically about yeast and uh, naturally leavened bread and fermentation that will be another episode we're gonna we're on a path to something else but Mm -hmm. you know this is for thousands, the point is for thousands and thousands of years, this is how people were making bread, uh, really up until the mid 19th century. And uh, naturally fermented bread is good for you. Mm-hmm. When I don't ferment, right, I do this here. I, I let the seeds sprout. Okay. And that's another way of breaking down anti nutrients. Right, sprouting. You, you, yeah. t- you tell it to come alive. You know? Yeah. It's not coming alive, so it drops all its weapons and everything. It's yeah. all going to cooperate to make itself available to become yeah. a new plant, right? And then a drought came. I put it in the oven, you know? Put yeah. the brakes on it, so you know? Yeah. Shit happens, you know? Sure. And then, so I'm going to dry it up now, and then I'm going to mill it into a flour. So, Pliny the Elder, ever heard of him? No. Okay, well, Pliny the Elder was a... a philosopher in the year 20 he was born in 23 AD died in 79 so somewhere in the middle of 23 and 79 AD he talks about how the Gauls uh which were a bunch of Celtic people okay um you he quotes uh the Gauls used foam skimmed from beer to make a lighter kind of bread so again Do you have the gall is that I wonder if that's where it came can from can you I'm just imagine the gall God, the gall of having bread like that Ugh, skimming the foam off the thing <laughs> using beer foam what disgusting <laughs> oh neanderthals <laughs> that's where gall came from okay go ahead <gasps> oh Bren, you're silly you're so silly that's where it came from that's what all right, so I got a lot of my uh, information for this next part from Salon.com and Ranker, two really great articles. Um, so that's just a little history about bread in general. And again, we'd love to get more into telling you about, you know, the deep, rich history of bread. But today's episode yeah. really is about white bread. But there's a great book for that. There is an app for that. <laughs> yes, there is an app for that. It's called <laughs> The Bread App. Get it or don't. What do I care? Um, okay, so uh, we're talking about white bread today. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know. Everybody kind of, ha- it evokes a different emotion in a lot of people. For me, if I hear the term white bread, I think, like, ugh, like I don't eat white bread. I think, you know, uh, I think lame of, white people. I think of Wonder Bread. I do think of good grilled cheeses. Yeah, for sure. You know sure. what else I think of? Uh, my brother used to take a piece of Wonder Bread and crumple it into a ball and then form it into a cohesive mass and then chew on it like a, I don't know, like a spitball. It was like a giant spitball. So that's what I think of that. And then what happened? He swallowed it or spit it out? I don't remember. It was disgusting. I'm going to vomit. Yeah, I blocked out those memories. Oh my God. That sounds terrible. I mean, I've eaten 
I've eaten it. If you're sitting there listening to this and you're eating it, that's fine. Um, but I think that not only does it bring up certain things in our minds and it did, it, it did a lot to our culture during, it did, I don't know anything the about 1900s, this. the uh, 1900s. And so, you know, I'm going to tell you where it began and we all know kind of where it ended up in people's minds. Now, I think when you think wonder bread, we think low class bread. I mean, of course, you can have like a nice Pullman loaf. Of course, yeah. Um, but if you think Wonder Bread, we think, yeah, ugh, it's like cheap, it's trashy, yeah, it's yeah. not, it's chemically, it's not good. I think of how flat the peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, it would always yeah. soak up all that jelly and it would be good this. Yeah, and then if you put it in your, like, okay, so my mom was a single mom <clears throat> growing up and she was also, well, she was a great mom and continues mm-hmm. to be even here better go, here now. Here go, Bobby, listen to this. She didn't necessarily do some of the things that other moms would do so she would kind of just like give me lunch, mm-hmm. like a PB&J, but like thrown in just like <laughs> randomly in my bag. A piece of wax paper. So it would get like, I'd go for <laughs> like to take it out for lunch and it would be just destroyed. She's probably trying to save the environment. Smushed. No. Bobby. Bobby. Let's discuss this later in therapy, in yeah. group therapy. Yeah. We're going now. Okay. Anyway, enough about Bobby. Um, until the late 19th century, bread was heavy and dark. So, you know, it was, people were milling grains either in the home or near to their home bakery mm-hmm. you know it was like wonderful wheats and exactly barleys it and... was part of like everyone's home life though for the most part that people would mill flour or buy flour from a mill very close by and it was a it was a routine uh you know you had the starter in italy they call it the biga um yes yes the biga and you feed it and it's just i from what i'm collecting from my information here uh and my reading is that it just was like a no-brainer that everyone had bread and made it at home. Mm-hmm. And it was made of whole grains, obviously. First of all, maybe we should start by saying that food, okay, falls in the department of must-do. Yeah. Okay, typically all must-dos, <laughs> I'd rather stay in bed, you know? Like, <laughs> yeah. That's a not must-do. I mean, granted, you need to sleep, but must-do, so pay your taxes, pay your bills, all your things. You try to do that as efficiently and as quickly (laughs) and get it out of the way so we go back to tennis or to what we were doing, okay? And then, so you just quickly try to get the stuff that you must do. No, I'm not saying that eating is not enjoyable or should not be enjoyable or tasty, but you do have to remember that it's a Mm must-do. And that actually eating is a very laborious process because you're not just eating something, you're taking it apart. You know, you're taking the car apart into all its individual components so you could pass it through your gut wall and then use it as nutrients, as building material for your machine. So last week we talked a little bit about a book called The Jungle. If you didn't listen to our hamburger episode, shame on you. Um, but we discussed a book it's called there. Go ahead. The Jungle. Pa- pause right now. Yep. Next podcast. Keep it up next. Got pull, it. Pull Go. over to We're the back. side of the road. Um, pour yourself a cup of coffee and listen to the burger episode. It's only an hour and a half long. Exactly. Um, I listened to it in double time. So it's, <laughs> it's 45 minutes. We should just do this in double time. And then when you listen to it in double time, it'll be quadruple time. And exactly. I can't talk that fast. So anyway, so last week we discussed Upton Sinclair's uh, a famous 1906 uh, novel called The Jungle, mm-hmm. um, in which he depicts the really disgusting conditions in the slaughterhouses and Chicago stockyards in the in the turn of the century. And as a result of that book, um, the government passed the Pure Food and Drug Act, and people were mm-hmm. becoming increasingly disturbed by the thought of just dirt in their food. Yep. And so bad, nasty bacteria, nasty food. And we, we talked about last week, like white castle forming and making these like sterile, clean, pristine, uh, fast food restaurants. And so this is kind of where white bread 
steps in. So people, uh-huh. they start, obviously the industrial revolution, which began in the, uh, I believe the 1700s, the mid 1700s and went into the mid 1800s. Of course, yes. Then by the 1900s, you have big factories. Like everything is just kind of adding up in place, right? And so they start making white bread. Now, uh, they're they're marketing it as uh, being yeah, clean and safe and white and you know people were also there a xenophobia became attached to this mm-hmm. because immigrants were still making bread in bakeries and so it was dark, dark. was dirty yes, exactly it was gauche correct so immigrants are making bread with their hands in bakeries leaving the bread out the which bread that we all we're know all is fine to back to exactly like, right. the bitter irony of it and it's dark it's like either brown bread or black literally like called black bread black from bread, like, like germans the Rus- and, the Rus- and russians exactly. yeah um and molasses and correct seeds and people and- are attributing at this right. time they're like z- super xenophobic they're like no immigrants and uh, people of color is, this is cr- i didn't yeah. know this and white bread is you know I mean, people at this time, super racist. Uh, More people than not are super racist. And white bread is marketed as white and pure and wholesome and clean. When you're talking about digestion and that, so commercialized bakeries, is that, do you think this is the problem while everybody's going gluten-free because they're just eating bad stuff? Well, the concept of digestibility has been forgotten a long time ago and replaced with a dollar sign. Mm. And it starts this whole, this is where white bread becomes actually very racially charged. Not everybody was so into this uh, white bread craze, though. Presbyterian minister and health reformer, Sylvester Graham, Mm. Graham, just saying, 1839, said white bread was a sign of laziness. What? And was uh, susceptible to additives like chalk and plaster, which they would put in. They would put into white bread just to make it extra that blue, like Regis film and blue white teeth. Yeah, but I don't know why why they were putting plaster into it. That is fascinating. I don't need to know that you could eat plaster and not die, but that was happening, and so he was really against think, it. So yeah. he we put, also used asbestos. So of course, go fake, go fake. Yeah. I mean, I'm watching Mad Men. People also used to like smoke and drink whiskey when they were pregnant. They're like, it's good, <laughs> yummy. It makes the baby tough. Um, so anyway, he was really against it. He puts out this recipe for what he thinks is like a better kind of bread to be mm-hmm. making at home. Eventually, it's adapted into the, you guessed it, graham cracker. The graham cracker. Yeah. And it sounds so... It's funny because people always think graham flour. But is this... Well, I don't know. I would, I guess, have well, to save I, that for the history of the graham cracker. Yeah, no, I but looked yeah, at... I, not to interject, but no, I please. looked up a lot of what graham flour and graham crackers were. And, and what did you find? Well, the internet is a very scary place. Uh, and I yes, it's yeah. full of full I of am atrocities. Scared. But anyway, I remember in Smitten Kitchen she had a really nice thing about graham crackers, and she used I think regular whole wheat flour oh, okay. or maybe a mix, and yeah, she, she yeah. said this tastes more like what you think of a graham cracker. I was really hoping that when we went away that you were gonna have made fresh uh, graham crackers. Graham, graham crackers. I I asked Preston. I said, can you tell Breton to make some graham crackers for and- s'mores because we got a couple weeks left. Yeah. You know, for those nice campfires and. Uh, just make some marshmallows. You know what you could probably keep it in the freezer? Yeah. Because they go very quickly. Yes, they do. It does take seconds, just very hot. Uh, yeah. But I have just never... Just wear a full hazmat suit. Yeah, just wear a full hazmat suit. <laughs> and just like, it should only take you about 72 hours yeah, to make Yeah, what's that? Enough. If 95 yeah. degrees out, no big deal. Just turn your oven on, turn put on a hazmat yeah. suit. Bickety <laughs> yeah. bang, you have yeah. a couple it's, of homemade it's, marshmallows. It's good for you. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. But so people are are definitely attributing this race, as I said, Um they think that because industrialized white bread is made without 
touching human hands. And since immigrants Mm -hmm. and people of color are the ones who are generally working in factories, that they're glad that immigrants' hands don't have to touch their food. That's how, that's the level that white people in this time are on. And some of them remain till this day. So uh, like in 1930, Dr. Woods Hutchinson uh, is quoted as saying, no race ever ate black bread when it could get white. Okay. So this is really like some sick stuff. Um, people were thinking during the turn of the century and into the 1920s that the more processed the bread, the lighter its tone, uh, the higher its status. So again, while now it's considered kind of low class, it became a big status symbol. Um, As we're moving um, into like the 1930s, a company named Hostess is formed in 1905, but in 1920, it starts making bread. And in 1928, when the slicer is invented... Oh my uh, gosh, just in 1928? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You're kidding me. Yeah, 1928, when the slicer is invented, they start making sliced white Wonder Bread. Sliced? And that's when it really white. takes off, right? Because like when I think Wonder Bread, white Wonder Bread, I think like 1950s housewives, mm-hmm. like, oh, honey, I brought home the Wonder Bread, you know, that iconic packaging. I am obsessed with those old videos of behavior and, yeah. and etiquette. You can watch them go on YouTube and they're just delicious. They're just, the kitchens are fabulous and there's so many rules. Like, there's, oh, so many rules. Yeah. I and mean, it's just so I mean, we all know this, but it's so funny. Like, oh, and you know, when your husband comes home, make sure to have dinner ready as he's probably had a stressful day at the office. I mean, this is just pure propaganda. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Let's talk about what was happening in reality. Exactly. Your husband's been at the office banging his secretary all day. Make sure that you have chicken a la king ready when he gets home or he'll beat you. (laughs) His three martinis lunch will sure to be turning into a hangover by now. And he'll need something quickly to rejuvenate him back into a state of inebriation. (laughs) <laughs> right and a little something white to soak up that alcohol make sure it's white exactly um sounds fabulous yeah so you know during the 1950s and 60s right exactly what you're talking about we have things like levittown we have uh tv dinners that's mm, post-war yeah. you know what i mean so people are moving away it's it's a such a trend and it's like classy and what you do and like just part of like the 1950s, 60s home to have things that are packaged, to go to the grocery store and get processed foods. Like it's it's in fashion. Yeah. You know what I mean? Well, it's it must out have of been fa- very exciting to just have this prepared right. for you. Uh, oh my gosh, we've been working so hard and now it's here and look at this. Yeah. Gorgeous, pa- you know, piece of meat wrapped up in plastic. Yeah. It reminds me of shiny. Do you ever go to Disney World? Uh, yes. Like, you know, Tomorrowland? Tomorrowland. Yeah. I wonder if have they've updated it, right? I wish they kept the original. We should go. Let's go right now. Yeah. I would okay, love to. Ready? And here we go. Honestly, if I had a disposable income and I didn't have a ton of work to do today, I'd say, let's go to Disneyland and check it out. I love what, Yeah, I love exactly. It. We need your Patreon money so that we can have frivolous yes. adventures. <laughs> Brandon and I need you to donate to our <laughs> Patreon page so we can go to Disney World. If you could just keep working hard in that office, we <laughs> promise to have a martini waiting for you when you get home with a delicious chicken pot pie with Hostess pie crust go (laughs) um okay so yeah that's what you know everybody knows Mm -hmm. the kind of iconic uh imagery of the 1950s and 60s the housewife the you know two little kiddos the the whitewashed everything patterns the wallpaper those gorgeous the race riots and people being treated like garbage and segregation and everything and uh you know why do they why do people do that and so sad that's an entire New podcast yeah, that's, of its own. That's why, an why are white people movement. racist? Um, okay. Anyway, so, so then, th- uh, a gentleman, uh, Theodore Rozak, who was an academic professor, um, wrote a book called The Making of Counterculture. 
Uh, so in the sixties, as we all know, there's like, a you know, count, well, he coined the phrase counterculture, mm-hmm. but a counterculture movement of people wanting to, you know, obviously there's hippies and beatniks and there's people who are against the war as you get into the late sixties. And, you know, this is all kind of a movement against and away from what we're seeing in the fifties and early sixties, white bread packaged everything. And a lot of people uh, are very white people also are very outraged about what's going on with segregation and you know racism obviously more people than not are fine with it unfortunately um he's quoted as saying white bread was the perfect metaphor for the rain and experts and technocrats who for the sake of efficiency and order threatened to rob us of all effort thought and independence only in america could people want their food bleached all to match the bleached out morality of white supremacy and so People are now starting to shift away from thinking that white bread is great. Obviously, there's some folks, but it's definitely losing its uh, status as some kind of like, you know, symbol of wealth yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and uh, high end lifestyle. People start making bread. There starts to be, uh, you know, a trend towards healthy eating mm-hmm. and food reformers and, uh, 1960s and 70s, food reformers pushed back against industrialized food and food choices became a key player in political activism. So there was like, as you you remember, I'm sure there's sit in, not remember because you were alive, although perhaps you were. How old are you? Uh, I'm 84. It's okay. okay. Um, Did you ever read that book, A Picture of Dorian Gray? Exactly. Yes, I have. I'm actually 102. Amazing. I would, if you told me that you were 102, I would be so excited Somebody believed that I was 50 the other day. It was my Which mom. is not, uh, yeah, I mean. It was Bobby. 50 and fabulous. Yeah, 50 right? and doing it. If yeah. you were f- 50 years old, I would need to like drink your blood and find out your secret because you exactly. look amazing. I'm almost there. So in the 1960s, um, uh, civil rights leaders, including Martin Luther King and others, uh, encouraged people to do sit-ins at restaurants. So food is playing a part in political activism, um, boycotts, and political fasts. So what I wanted to talk about in this episode was really trying to uh, illuminate how a certain type of food product became such a racist kind of iconography. I mean, I will no longer eat a beef taco bowl ever again. (laughs) I mean, of course, but you know, I don't know. It's just really, it's really upsetting, you know, to just Mm -hmm. think of like that we could have taken something that's as honest and as part of, uh, life itself as mm-hmm. bread, as we've noted, like we've found bread being made, you know, almost 12,000 years ago. I and mean, Muslims say bread is God, right? It's, right. It's yeah. It's the most I mean, Catholic, and then, like the bread, right? Right. And then, you know, the body of Christ. Well, uh, interesting that you bring that up because I actually wanted to talk about breaking bread, um, which I'm not a, you know, person who knows very much about religion at mm-hmm. all. Um, but breaking bread, right, was when Christ uh, was at the last supper, that was a thing, right? And then he broke off well, the bread it, and said, this is my body and that's what the Eucharist is about. Exactly. Now, if you just look over up here, up on the top, I have a fabulous... Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. There's I the last supper right there. I have a picture of the there. last supper. It's glooming over... Glooming. <laughs> sorry. Looming <laughs> over... <laughs> sorry. Blooming, maybe blooming, we should say. Blooming over my living room. And it really is uh, interesting. But, uh, you know, I... But suppose you could you could look at that literally as a Bible story. You could say you know what meaning that has. You know, sharing, well, yeah, respecting, sharing. You know, to share 
a meal or to share food or to just share yourself with someone who it's a, it's a peace offering, right? It's an olive mm-hmm. branch, um, to sit and break bread. Now we know to mean to, you know, even if you're not a religious person, but to just kind of find common ground with someone. I'm kind of looking at this picture right now and it looks like Jesus cooked a fabulous meal and he's <laughs> looking at everybody like, Oh my God. Look, can you believe what I made? Can you believe? Look at lemon spaghetti. Have you seen these oysters? He has his hands open. He's like, look at those plums kids. I, I think like, he's a quince. Oh, is that a cold roast leg of lamb in the corner? Yeah, look, have you seen the fish that I pulled out from the ocean? And the loaves. It is Friday and we are, this is the best fish fry ever made. <laughs> I guarantee you he was thinking that. I know he was. Oh Jesus. Um, so anyway, yeah, I think just, you know, for us to think about, you mm-hmm. know, break the what we're talking about, like breaking bread. Yes. Sharing common ground with people. Um, there's something. It's here. just it's incredible how they took. Well, it's I not know. incredible. Of course, I'm aware of what happens in humanity, but how. Yeah, they took something and then turned, turned it against. Us. It's horrible. It's horrible. Yeah. So, um, you know, there's someone I, in my reading I was reading. It said if a person eats alone, he doesn't need to break bread, right? It was just a description. It wasn't like Mm. a quote. It was just describing like, well, if a person eats alone, they don't need to break bread. But if they eat bread with other people, then they need to break it. And it just caused me to think about like isolation of how we, how we are nowadays, you know, we're like closed off and I want to stay in my group. And we've always been, people have always been that way. But when you actually branch out and you, you know what I mean? If you have the need to break bread, it means you're not alone. And that's a good thing. To grow grains, that means that you're going to be doing a monocrop now. That's very against nature, okay? Yeah. Nature does not have mono anything. It has multiple everything. Right. Um, another interesting thing that I found, uh, a, a common phrase that I didn't really know what it meant, was bread and circuses. Mm-hmm. Um, originated by a Roman poet, uh, Juvenaz. Juvenaz in the first century AD was to generate uh, public approval uh, and political approval, but not by excellence, but instead by diversion or distraction, which obviously we can relate to in these modern times, mm-hmm. bread and circuses in this current political climate. Are you saying that we're living in a live uh, Barnum and Bailey circus? Yeah, except pretty that much. With the animals are... The animals all work <laughs> in the White House. Oh, how interesting. So last week I had the privilege of seeing the new Spike Lee movie, Who Lives Across the Street, from where we're recording right now. Yeah, not name dropping. The, just, black, uh, the black Klansman. Just stating the obvious. Um, it was a really excellent film. It was amazing. And I think everyone should do themselves a favor um, and see it. That You leave with a lot to think about. And, um, you know, we live in very complicated times. And it's interesting, the juxtaposition, seeing how a lot has, unfortunately, hasn't changed. Um, it was a very inclusive film. It was very, like... Uh, you know, it was very heartfelt and warm and and dear and tender. And it was also we last should, week, the one year anniversary of the awful tragedy that happened, um, the acts of American terrorism in Charlottesville and Heather Hare's um, really unfortunate, untimely death. So this all tied together. I know that's like serious, but it all tied together for me because, you know, Brett and I had discussed doing a bread episode and then we're like, oh, maybe we could like talk about white bread. And I thought there was going to be some like, Really like funny history, like oh the white you know the white brothers formed white bread and I was just gonna talk about yeast and Fleischmann's yeast and oh well then they figured it out and then we started making nice bread and then it was easier and then we sliced it and diced it yeah but you know the thing is is this actually is a gross part of our there history. were some cobwebs under there it's a right? gross part for, of our history exactly for multiple multiple reasons one Slimy moving away cobwebs. from pure good nutritious food which is like made at home. 
and yeah. made by local artisans, which now is obviously a coveted thing. We pay $15 a loaf sometimes. Well, no wonder everybody became sensitive to gluten as well with oh, all that. Absolutely. All the chemicals we've been That's shoving. such a good yeah. point. Yeah. Not that I'm trying to like, it turns into a nutrition podcast, but. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. When you right. think about it. Totally. And then also because it just became, you know, fo- like fuel to a really awful, disgusting, racist fire that, um, you know, just kept promoted that some kind of food is better because it's white. And I mean, that was just one of so many awful things that was and continues to just be part of our mainstream, like, you know, culture and uh, moving in the wrong direction. Hopefully, you know, I know now that most people in this country move on the other side, but still it, it was, course, it all yeah. came into this kind of um, perfect circle in my head after seeing that film and being the anniversary of Charlottesville and just wanting to, you know, I I don't know. I white bread. Yuck. Yeah. Yeah. I mean I do like a white Pullman loaf. Well, a Pullman loaf is good. Yeah, you know, it's I know, just, you know what I mean? I don't I the like thing a is Pullman like I don't loaf. know I don't want to sound like I'm gonna feel guilty every time I have a baguette. No. It's just let's should, let, I recommend a Pullman loaf. <laughs> I recommend <laughs> if you're gonna have you have to say something nice. Yes. <laughs> recommend a Pullman loaf. If you're thinking about if you do just try a Pullman loaf and enjoy the beauty of what that is those natural flowers they're they're supposed to be better for you i don't yeah. know so that 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 is kind of in conclusion um the history thus far of white bread um what it means in pop culture what it means in uh race race in this country and what it means in your in your tummy and yeah. in our minds and it's pretty sorted and weird and it obviously had its heyday and now it's down on its ass and i'm not i can't necessarily foresee it i don't want to sound weird but i was just thinking about making fried fish yeah and then i thought of panko breadcrumbs and everything now is you know like bread and panko and that's white bread should we not is that it's japanese white bread oh well so i don't don't know that's a whole nother podcast well i know but now i'm i'm thinking is that made in the same way i'm sure yeah i'm sure it's not made in a but I mean, panko breadcrumbs are delicious. But though. it's different because it's made by Japanese people. Uh, exactly. Um, Which I love panko. There was this, I, when I was looking up some of the stuff about racist Wonder Bread, Wonder Bread, well, also they were just sued in like the 80s or even maybe really? later, maybe the, actually it was like the 90s, I think, um, for uh, unfair treatment of black workers. Um, and the, yeah, it, it was a big sounds- lawsuit. <laughs> the message that I'm getting is we should not be buying Wonder Bread. No, and then they also... <laughs> you guys can Google this, had an actual package of bread that was like marketed for kids and it said for smart white kids on the package. Really? Yeah. Oh my gosh, I need to... Like how does that get through like a whole chain of marketing people? No one looks at it. It's like, this doesn't look good. Yeah, I mean, that's that's something. They're like, nope, send it to press. Exactly. So anyway, um, that's the history of white bread, but I do want to also talk just a little bit about favorite breads in general. Mm-hmm. Um. So for top three this week, what are your top three favorite bakeries to get is delicious, beautiful bread in New York? No, give me anywhere. Can, I'm sure anywhere. one of them is going to be in Wisconsin. Well, if it, I know you. No, that's the thing. This is a really tough call because it could go something. I, I could I could talk about the world. But you can talk about you anywhere. Know what? I'm going to tell you. Okay, I do love Grand Daisy Bakery over up in what is that in Tribeca? I, I've like, never been there. It's really good. It used to be part of Sullivan Street Bakery. Apparently, Which is they amazing. split off, and I don't know if that was the original owner. I don't know the whole story. Uh, and you know, I still love Amy's bread. Oh yeah, I still love Amy's bread. And then uh, I don't know. Let's see, a third one. 
What's the third one? Well, it's one of those things where there's so many. I mean, I like could a say lot Caputo's. I love the lard bread. We've talked yeah. about that before. I mean, there's yeah. so many different cuts. If I'm talking about like a naturally loving, what's the one we went up in Bonfilio? That's my number one favorite. Bonfilio is up in, it used to be in Hudson. It's in Athens now. Athens. It's the best. New York. And it is. It is the best divine. that I've ever had. Mm-hmm. And of course, I'm sorry. How can I not say because my new favorite bread, because I never had it before, which is why I'm shocked that i just didn't say this is berkshire mountain bakery's bread no joke i'm not plugging it swear to the lord yeah heavenly above everything everything that is holy in this world that that bread it's the best that sesame that sesame holy was the most delicious thing i've ever had in my entire life it's amazing and also richard is just uh, a genius and he's brilliant he's been kind enough to just kind of tell us about you know the process and why and how you know like if I had a cooking school, I would first study digestion, yeah. gut, how it works, what we need, understand that part, then make foods from there. Mm-hmm. And it could still be fun. And yeah. Jira bread is fantastic. And Jira is You know, like uh, the oat cakes are fantastic from the Gaelic people. Uh, you Gaelic know, these are first cakes. things. And But go backwards a little bit to like think in terms of like what were we like before we knew we were. That's assuming that you're not a creationist, okay? Mm-hmm. So you go back where, well, they're still out there. Yeah. And, <laughs> no, then, and then, well, then you might be vulnerable. I don't know. I'm not, I have no judgment, okay? Yeah, yeah. Uh, although I think, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you go backwards, right, and you, you think, like, we had to be pretty good looking. We had to be in pretty good shape. We had to be, we were there. We were eating. We were not just lame ducks, mm-hmm. you know? We were, like, actually above and beyond possibly then other creatures but we're still just nature so that means we followed nature's way but with the advent of self-awareness or awareness whatever you want to call it where you suddenly can elaborate on something i mean that guy his mind is out there and he's he's kind of he's a genius i mean he's he's a genius and he's taught some of the greats about how to make bread it really changed it kind of Pull a cog, you know i started my gears started turning and i started Mm -hmm. thinking about the the vertical farming and and yeah. his, you know, the aquaponics and using fish to feed your vegetables and yeah. water and recycling water. And that is really, I don't know where to start with that, but I, w- I want to look more into that. Addressing food and, and, and we should address everything, even the way we grow it. You know, like growing grains, I'm pretty much done with grains or so, you know, it's like, it's like what was once a good thing may not be such a good thing anymore. You know, to grow things horizontally doesn't make any more sense, okay? To grow things uh, with dirt actually is starting to be looking less and less appealing if you look at what we need to disturb. And there's many ways. I'm I'm right. I'm a big fan of like aquaponics. Oh yeah. Use fish poop. I love fish poop. You do? That's, to, what, that's what Stacy is getting plants. into that. And I want to build like a, a ten thousand foot dome <gasps> and inside we would have that's all what aquaponics and I would Slow smoke, oh. cold smoke, some trouts, and yeah. that should do well. Like, yeah. So you are making this thing. No, no, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. no, but we need to eat. Yeah. So let's make it fun. I know it's very. He's he's a genius. My top three favorite breads. Um, I think that my favorite bread of all time is either Berkshire Mountain Bakery or Bonifilio, uh, or Bonifilio. Okay. Bonifilio. Bonifilio. Um, She Wolf Bakery. She Wolf is real good. Real really, good. really, 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 really good. If bread. you want to look really cool in New York City, you walk around with the, with a white bag. Yeah. You go to the farmers market, you get your She Wolf ba- Bakery, and you walk around with it. Yeah, it's really delicious. That is hot. Yeah, that's really good bread and delicious. Um, I guess my favorite Italian bread. I kind of want to 
toss this into the mm-hmm. mix is actually from Parisi Bakery. Parisi. I yeah. forgot about Parisi that. Parisi Bakery. They also make amazing sandwiches. Is it Elizabeth or Ma? I can't remember. It's somewhere in Little Italy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, like, the, or like the Lower East Side in Little Italy. Yeah, kind look of that combine, up. Uh, Parisi. P-A-R-I-S-I. Yeah, I think so. Their Italian bread is absolutely to die for. It's amazing. Their sandwiches are so so good. If you want to get a like a Italian like Italian, I almost said an Italian hand job. If you want an Italian hand job, go to go Parisi. To tell them Zara and Brenton sent you. Go to the corner of Chinatown <laughs> in Little Italy. Go downstairs. It's sixty nine Mott. Ring the bell and say hi. I've been here before. Go ahead. Um, and I will say that Roberta's bread is incredible. Roberta's bread. Yep. yep and shout yep. out to our dear good. Beautiful, wonderful friend, Amelia Hall, who bakes for Roberta's, who started baking the bread mm-hmm. at Brucey. Um, I also really love that Brucey bread. And you know what else I love? Orwashers Marble oh Rye. Oh my God, Orwashers Hashtag is great. Orwashers, yeah. they will custom make you, yeah. and I'm not probably going to be mad, they'll custom make you Marble Rye because nobody makes Marble Rye. Marble, marble Rye. Marble Rye. Marble Rye. And I highly recommend you can call them if you live in New York, or maybe you don't, but they make... Wonderful, and I love marble rye. Yeah, it's the cutest bread. It's the most. Ador- also, this is a good opportunity for everyone to go watch that episode of Seinfeld. Yep, that Breton was on, Listen, where he fights an old lady for marble that rye. That is me disguised as Jerry Seinfeld. So, um, let's also ask uh, some chef recommends tips this uh, week. Yes, chef recommends. Okay, chef recommends getting a really nice loaf of crusty bread. Sticking it under your broiler. Perhaps you have a wood-burning oven, if you're so fortunate to have one. Taking that bread, toasting it, pulling it out of the toast. You know where I'm going here. Rubbing it with some raw garlic. Mm. Tis the season right now. You just said in the beginning that you made that. And mm. make. And here's what you do. Everybody's been going nuts. Panca tomat is hot, kids. Right? Everybody's got the picture of a magazine, the picture of their Instagram. Let me tell you. I was a foreign exchange student in Spain. I learned to make that from a real Italian grandmother. You mean Spanish. What did I say, Italian? Yes. Oh my gosh, I'm so silly. (laughs) A real Spanish grandmother. And it's all good, Italian bread. And, you know, you just take that and you just rub the garlic. And it has to be really, really wonderful, you know, garlic that you get from somewhere. It's so important. Yeah. And then you grate the tomatoes on on a grater. Oh, that's steamers. what you do? Yeah, you grate the tomatoes I always just rub the tomato on the bread. Uh, I'm sure some people could. I learned to do it that way. Yeah, no, way. that's so, so you, interesting. You cut, they used to use their Roma, our version of what is like a Roma tomato okay. or Sarmazano, and you would cut it in half lengthwise. Yeah. And this, you would take the the skin side and you rub it so that your hands oh. protect it. And it's sort of the flesh sort of grates naturally and comes off and you're left with the peel, which you discard or throw it into a compost bin and give it to your chickens. Or, and then you just spoon that over the bread and then oh salt gosh. it and olive oil it and it is I love pan tomato. I for some reason I've just always like rubbed it right on the bread I never even thought of grating it that's so interesting grating it there is something well first of all texture <laughs> you and I Zara knows for yeah. sure texture is everything and we all should be following that but texture is something happens in the tomato when you grate it I can yeah you, it's the it's weirdest like fluffy. thing it gets fluffy yeah it aerates it or something mm-hmm. mm. 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 That is a really okay, good thing to do. what's your chef recommends? Oh my God, I have so many things I could just recommend to do with bread. Mostly just shove it in your face. I love bread. Bread and butter is my favorite food ever. Hashtag bread and buttered. Hever- is- he- heavenly. 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 Um, well, let's see. I guess my chef recommends for what to do with bread would be, 
I mean a classic toad in the hole. Toad in the hole. A toad in the hole is Did fun. Did somebody say hole? <laughs> My thing obviously toad. includes holes yeah. and toads, which I hate. Um, but yeah, a toad in the hole is a really great thing. You know, you plug, you pull out the center of the bread and you put some butter in a pan and toast it and then, or olive oil and then stick an egg in it. Stick an egg in it. Fry, it's like an egg sandwich all in one. It's delicious. Who doesn't love a... It's so I love easy. it. It's something I never, ever, 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 ever make or eat because you know I never We should treat ourselves this weekend. Toads and in everybody holes? make a toad in the hole. Yeah. Just do it. Don't even... A toad in the hole. Don't think about it. Is great. Just start, dude. Just start cutting the bread and be like, well, what's happening? I'm making a toad in the hole. Ooh, toads in this hole. My other favorite thing to do uh, with bread that's kind of unconventional, mm-hmm. chef recommends... Um, I mean, it's conventional to a lot of people. I just think in America, we don't, it's not a, an American recipe, but, um, ribolita. ribolita. I've mentioned it on the show before that I si, 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 enjoy si, ribolita, si, 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 but si. I love it. Ribolita means reboiled. Yep. And it's a bread, a Tuscan bread soup. Tuscan bread soup. And it's just well, what would you tell, so dang. Give us a quick, well, uh, a basic ribolita that you'd make would always include show, greens yeah. and beans. So some dark greens like Swiss chard or kale. Some cannellini beans. Get some Rancho Gordo cannellinis. Exactly. A peel exactly. with like a end piece. Like if you have, you know, if you're making bacon and mm-hmm. you have like one little nubbin left, you know, maybe a piece of bacon or a little like nub of guanciale, a parmesan you know rinds, Do you know carrots. what I've been doing? If I don't want to use bacon, I've what? been using those mushroom powders. Oh, wow. To give it that, that flavor. Like chaga? Uh, you can get, well, I mean, you can get uh, any kind of mushroom. Powder. Yeah, yeah. I get it from Radical Herb Shop. You can oh, get shiitake. Maitake, shiitake. Oh they my have God. turkey tail. They Ooh. have lion's mane. Ooh. And they're affordable. That's so, I'm going to go get some on my way home. They're affordable. And you just put a little, you just add a teaspoon of That's it. That's so smart. Remember? And it just gives it. Yeah, the, it has like, that umami flavor. Yeah. Umami. Umami. Um, so yeah, celery, I don't know, onions, and you can mm-hmm. put tomato if you want. You really can like have fun with it. Do whatever you want. And then you put bread and the bread dissolves into it. And it, it's really supposed to be more like a porridge than like a you know like a liquidy runny soup it reminds me of the, you can eat it with a fork the spanish version well i don't know if it's the spanish version but sopa de ajo oh yeah sopa de ajo is, is amazing sopa de ajo. oh sopa de ajo it's ajo. uh it, they, they also in spain they call it hangover soup oh wow which i'm sure this time of year you and, yeah you take day old bread and you soak it and you get i it need a, like a fridge full of hangover soup wait where are you from originally? i'm french canadian french oh, wow, okay. where did you grow up so where did I grow up? Uh, Ottawa, uh, okay. Northwestern Quebec, and then Amsterdam, because I Wait, lived in Holland for 10 years. Wait, that's, you speak Dutch? Yes, ik spreek Hollands. Ik spreek een beetje Hollands. Een beetje Hollands? Mijn zus woont in Amsterdam. Mijn zus woont in Amsterdam. Je zus? Mijn zus? Ja, ja. Mijn zus? Mijn zus, sounds like God. I've been drinking a lot lately. I'm not gonna lie. I, I Mom, was, I've been really good. Listen. Lots of water. You've been really good. Hmm? Okay. Uh, <laughs> okay. Eyes of judgment. <laughs> okay. Okay. Two martinis to me is not drinking. No, it's true. I mean, I only have like two drinks a night too, but I just, I feel it. And it's I consistent. Guess, yeah, maybe. I don't know. I didn't drink for four nights. Maybe so if I drank more bread, mm. I'd feel better. Have a glass of sherry. I'm just going to have a glass of bread milk. Just have a cute sherry. Yeah. Cute cherry in a, a bottle cute. of wine. Cute cherry in a bottle of wine. No worries. Okay. No worries. <laughs> so um, have you been any places this week that you really, really like? Maybe even bread focused? You know what? I Besides that bakery, uh, not really. I've been just laying low mm. and eating a lot at home and eating lots of just simple snacks. That mm-hmm. I've been chomping on like the watermelon. Yeah. And I'm not, try- I'm not turning on my oven. Yeah. I Snacking just- on peppers and... 
green peppers. tomatoes. I'm doing just simple stuff. Pop like, and cherry tomatoes and pop cherry, old gullet. Exactly. Yeah. A glass of water and a spoonful of, and a spoonful of almond butter. Oh God, do I love almond butter? Um, although I'm trying to quit it. I think I'm overdoing it. Yeah. It's important to diversify. Yeah. Um, I would like to shout out this week for places I like. One of my favorite restaurants in the city, a friend restaurant, um, Servos in uh, Chinatown. Servos, I've heard about it, yes. It's I have really not been there yet. Delicious. It's delicious if you like what I would describe as chefy foods. And I don't mean that in a snobby way or in a masculine way. Like chefy foods, like bone marrow and yeah. pig's tails. Not like there's Nose anything not that there's anything wrong with that, although barbecue I, slabs of barbecue yeah. covered in chef, barbecue. Chef food. Yeah. Yeah, it's foie gras. No, I don't mean that. I mean don't what know. actual what don't I view started. as people who are mm. chefs and mm. cooks like like to eat, which is lots and lots of olive oil. So everything's everything's served in a pint plastic container and it's exactly. chicken and rice. And you eat it over the garbage yeah. <laughs> with your hands. Um no. It's uh <laughs> it's just like, you know, lots of uh, salt, lots of lots and lots of glugs simple, of good olive oil. Simple, delicious, simple right. food that you want to like. You know, we got these really delicious, delicious grilled shrimp the other night, and they had their shells on. It's like I just started like munching mine with the shell, like stuff like that. You know, things you can eat with your hand. Yeah, great bread that you're gonna like mop up tons of like peppery olive oil with. It's a delicious restaurant. It certainly doesn't need my help. It's already very popular, but I will just say that um, if you are anywhere in the vicinity of New York City, get to Servos and their sister restaurant, Hearts, which we also heart. Um, mm-hmm. They're both great places. But yeah, Servos is my shout out this week. I love it there. Sounds fabulous. So good. Well, that being said, I think. <laughs> Let's go get some, shove some white bread balls into our mouth. Okay, guys, thank you so much for listening this week. And please download, rate, review, and subscribe this podcast. And give us your hard-earned money on our Patreon page so we can make t-shirts and videos. Um, We really love you. Please send us some emails. We'll read them on the air. Um, Breton, you're amazing at playing the accordion. I live my life in total awe of you. And have a great weekend. Don't let anybody tell you that summer's over. It goes on forever and ever in your hearts and minds. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye. Hasta la pasta. episodes are recorded right here at studio 54 at the heart of fort Fort green Green, brooklyn Brooklyn. our rock star award-winning sound editor and producer is christine farrell i'm zara tangora and i'm Bretton scott and we'll see you next time thanks for listening